Yesterday, the Miami Herald published a story with the headline, DeSantis Full Armor of God Rhetoric <laughs> Reaches Republicans. But is he playing with fire? So the Herald asked the governor's office while they were reporting this story, they asked the governor's office and campaign where I work now, um, whether Governor DeSantis' use of religious and biblical references, and I'm reading verbatim from what they sent. So does the governor's use of religious and biblical references, is it intentional? What does the governor believe about the Christian nationalism movement since January 6, 2021? And does his rhetoric exclude non-Christians? Also yesterday, a video surfaced online, some of you might have seen it, um, of Democrat gubernatorial nominee Charlie Crist at a campaign event. And he said a lot of um, bizarre outlandish things. One started comparing himself to President Zelensky of Ukraine fighting against Russia. Um, two started to compare himself to somebody else. Um, he pointed out his campaign sign and his last name is spelled C-R-I-S-T. And he then said, you know, a lot of people refer to my opponent as DeSatan. Have you guys heard that? DeSantis, DeSatan, like he was, you know, he, he thought it was really funny and you know, a lot of um, the folks in the room laughed about that. And then he pointed to his campaign side, Christ. So he compares himself to Jesus Christ, compares his opponent to Satan, Yet the Miami Herald somehow overlooked this when they were reporting on Governor DeSantis quoting from the Bible, but they overlooked the aggressive um, rhetoric that was also religiously tinged from his opponent. Now, double standards in the legacy media are not news to anyone, no pun intended. Um, the media, we all know, it's somewhere between the communication shop of the Democratic Party um, and to some extent now it's becoming the tail that wags the dog with the Biden administration being completely online and you know, making policy based on what MSNBC, CNN or Twitter um, blue checks are talking about. Um, so pointing out double standards, it's something that I do, it's something that I've always done as press secretary for Governor DeSantis, now as um, director of rapid response on the re-election campaign, but it's not enough. I want to recognize the limits of the approach of pointing out hypocrisy and double standards from the mainstream media. The left, and that includes media activists, the left does not care if you think they're hypocrites. The left does not care if we notice the double standard with which they cover, let's say, Charlie Crist versus Governor DeSantis, or you know, name your conservative and liberal politician. Actually, they relish in it, I would say. A lot of these media activists relish in this raw exercise of power, and that's what it is. Um, they, as Amber said very well a few minutes ago, they see themselves not as journalists, not as reporters, not as investigators, but as activists, but as advocates, as political operatives, as gatekeepers, and so, and as arbiters of truth. Like they believe that they can define reality if you know they um, stick to their talking points and censor 
and attack all those and discredit those with dissenting views, right? Um, so their exercise of raw power, it's something like this. They're saying to you with these double standards in your face like this, they're saying, we can lie about you, we can smear you, we can go to your relative's house and knock on the door and stalk them because we don't like what you post on Twitter, even if you're just posting videos of left-wingers in their own words. Um, you're not allowed to notice that. They're crazy. Um, and we, the media activist, can campaign for our party in the pages of the newspaper on, on TV that's supposed to be news. Um, and you conservatives cannot do anything about it because we're in charge, you're not, you are um, discredited. So what can we do as conservatives to deal with this attitude from the legacy media? And that is very powerful, it's entrenched at this point. It's not just bias, that's what I'm getting at. It's not a matter of, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago, yes, bias in the media was a problem, but we've reached a new phase, I think, where it's, it's more than that. It's more than bias, it's more than double standards, it's contempt. They hate you, they hate us, they hate everything that we stand for, um, and I believe they hate this country. So what do we do? We cut them off. As Amber said, you treat them like activists because that's what they are. Would you allow, if you're on a campaign helping a Republican candidate get elected, would you allow a Democrat tracker that you recognize into a private campaign event? I would hope not. That's how you should view mainstream media activists. They are Democrat trackers, they're Democrat activists. They are not there to report fairly on you. However, I'll take a step back and say that part of their power, it does come from the perceived, the perception among many Americans that they have access to both sides politically, that they have access to um, Republican politicians as well as Democrats. And they do to an extent because there are still um, Republicans, conservatives who speak with them. There are still some who think that the story will be better if we just get our side in. And I've done that in the past too. Um, a little over a year later, I realized that that's pointless. Um, but they need access. They need access or else if they have no access to any conservatives, any Republican elected officials, then they are seen by everybody as what they are, which is Democratic Party communications operatives and activists. So you do not have to grant them access. Um, Recently, a um, couple months ago, CPAC was in Budapest. They didn't allow a lot of media in, so you know the, the entire story was Rolling Stone activists outside on the streets of Budapest um, whining about how they weren't allowed in. Now, um, that sparked a lot of profiles of Hungary, of the Hungarian government, of the prime minister, and I remember reading in one of these profiles, they were all the same, by the way, I can't remember which one this was. It might have been Rolling Stone, might have been The New Yorker. Um, I mean, who knows, it's, it's all the same. They're recycling the same narratives. But what struck me about this one that I'm thinking of, I think it was The New Yorker. They wrote to Viktor Orban's office, to the Prime Minister of Hungary's office, and asked for comment on you know, their hit piece. And they received a response that I thought was just perfect. It was, we are not going to participate in the validation process for liberal left propaganda, period. 
that's it. And I, I don't think we need to participate in that validation process either. Um, so, like I said, some conservative candidates, conservative elected officials, um, operatives, what have you, still feel that they need legacy media for whatever reason. I would say even my parents' generation, if I'm quoted in like the Washington Post or New York Times, my father, who is a conservative, will call me and he'll be excited about it. You know, this is a big deal. Your name is in the New York Times. I'm like, Dad, you know, it's... It's really not. Um, I mean, they, they had to print what I said because they're writing, you know, about my boss or about some policy in Florida. But, but I'm, I think maybe it's a generational thing that we have just seen. I've grown up with, you know, since Obamacare and the advocacy that the mainstream media undertook to promote that ad nauseum. I think I... Um, maybe my generation is a little bit more inured and less taken in by this, um, you know, the cachet of, of mainstream media and brands like the New York Times. Um, governor DeSantis, he is the youngest governor in the United States. And so I think maybe this is generational, like I said, but maybe it's also just his personality and his character. He knows how to deal with the legacy media activists. Um, he does not grant them interviews. He doesn't give them access. If anyone on his staff, campaign or official, were to leak to mainstream media, they would be fired. So nobody leaks. Um, and actually, <laughs> the, the media has uh, attempted to write stories about how, how it's a surprisingly leak-proof operation. Well, it shouldn't be surprising. That's how, that's how things should be on our side. Um, and most importantly, perhaps, he understands the importance of rejecting their premises. And when I say that, when people say that, it usually means rejecting the premises of loaded questions. Like, for example, speaking of Taylor Lorenz from Washington Post, I saw that she wrote yesterday to um, the creator of Libs of TikTok. Uh, she's written about 20 stories about this woman. I mean, it's, it's an obsession. Um, restraining level order crazy, but she wrote to, to um, Libs of TikTok saying that she's writing a story for the Washington Post implicating Libs of TikTok's account in domestic terrorist threats against children's hospitals that are providing gender-affirming care for transgender children, and don't get me started on that, but the question was loaded. The question was full of language like gender-affirming care, which is left-wing um, propaganda, that's not what it is. Um, that is a PR term. It was implying that the owner of an account that reposts videos of leftists in their own words is somehow responsible for threats against them, um, even though she has never made any threats. She's discouraged that always from what I've seen. Um, but, you know, so, so it was obvious where she's going with the story. And so... I think, um, you know, rejecting the premise in that way, rejecting the premise of these loaded questions is one thing and it's important. But another thing is to look at the bigger picture and reject the premise that legacy media, that media activists are somehow gatekeepers or arbiters of the truth. And this comes in when we hear about disinformation and misinformation and the fact-checking industry and all of that. That comes up a lot, you know? Who's, whose facts are they checking? 
a lot of the times, if, if it's not a black and white um, fact versus fiction, which usually these issues that they write about and try to debunk are not, they will say that yes, Governor DeSantis was, was saying something factually accurate, but it lacked context. And missing context is how fact checkers will try to discredit conservatives or really discredit anyone who goes against the narrative. And so we should just reject that, reject the premise entirely. Um, just because somebody might have a different opinion, that does not mean it's factually incorrect. Um, the fact-checking industry, they are the regime narrative enforcers that I mentioned in the title of my um, speech today. They are there not to look at the evidence, not to look at the data points and to draw a conclusion. They're there to enforce the narrative of um, of those in power, of the elites, of the regime, I mean, for lack of a better word. Um, so we hear stuff like, for example, one of the most egregious examples of this was last year around November, Governor DeSantis was talking at a press conference and said something about like, it, it was around the time that he convened a special legislative session to ban um, vaccine mandates by employers. And he said something like, you know, one of the, um, issues that we're worried about is that with boosters coming out that there'll just be no end to this. So there'll be a vaccine mandate and then to keep your job you have to get a booster and then how many more do you have to get? Like it's, it's a vicious cycle. It should just be up to individuals um, to evaluate their risks and potential benefits and make that decision for themselves. Um, and he was immediately fact-checked by The Independent, very ironic name for a legacy media outlet. Um, but they wrote an article saying that it is false that there will probably be booster mandates in the future. Now, how could you fact check something that has not happened, that was speculation, <laughs> that was a prediction? I mean, it's absurd. It's a parody of fact checking. But I mean, sometimes it's, it's fun to just let them do this because they discredit themselves over time. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, so reject the premise that they know any better than you, reject the premise that the experts that they quote are actually experts, reject the premise that they have some kind of monopoly on facts or truth, um, because they don't, and they've proven that time and again, and treat them as activists. So going back to the idea of access and how access is power for them and how they need access to us, to conservatives, to the elected officials we work for, to the candidates we work with and support, um, they need that access for credibility, even among their own audience. And um, so the Republican Party of Florida, a couple months ago, organized a great event called the Sunshine Summit. Those of you who live here in South Florida might have heard of it, might have even attended. Um, and what was so great about this event? I mean, of course, good speakers and great ideas, great attendees. But what was different about it was they did not allow all legacy media activists to attend. Yes, journalists were in attendance, but those who would cover the event fairly, those who had proven themselves not to be activists, who had proven themselves to be fair. And some of them were from mainstream outlets, but some of them were conservative bloggers and independent media, and even those with brand new outlets. And, um, as some of the other presenters here have said, 
it is very important, I think, for those conservatives who have a platform, like Governor DeSantis, for example, to build up, use your platform and use your power to build up independent and new conservative media or even just independent media that doesn't have an agenda. And that's what he did. So they were able to come into the Sunshine Summit. They were able to get exclusives. They were able to sit down and talk to Governor DeSantis, some of them. So that helps them get viewers. That helps them build up their audience. That gives them a cachet. They have something that Politico doesn't have. They have something that the Washington Post doesn't have. Washington Post reporter showed up and was sitting outside the hotel the entire day, um, just from outside looking in. It was pretty funny. Um, and yeah, he complained. He complained on Twitter. Um, so did the Politico journalist. So did the Palm Beach Post. They were tweeting it and complaining, but like, that was that. That was it. No, nothing else happened. And so I think, you know, sometimes conservatives worry a lot about like, what, what'll happen? What will the backlash be? What criticism will we get if we don't allow them in? No, it's, you worry more than um, what actually comes to pass. And so creating our own media ecosystem, that's one way to do it. Um, also recognize the legacy media always expects conservatives to be on defense. They're always trying to put us on the defensive. They're always attacking and asking us to explain ourselves. Like the example I just gave with Washington Post reporter asking libs of TikTok why she supports domestic terrorism. No, no, I don't support domestic terrorism. No, no, please, like, don't write. That's the instinct that a lot of us have. It's human nature. I've, I've done it too, just to defend myself from these ridiculous claims. Um, but it's not the most strategic thing to do. What I've learned is we need to go on offense. We need to stay there. We cannot let the legacy media define our agenda, define how we talk about our agenda. Um, and remember, if you're explaining, you are losing. So I'll wrap up with another anecdote, recent anecdote from the DeSantis campaign, although this is about lieutenant governors. Um, we have a great lieutenant governor, Jeanette Nunez. Um, she is a descendant of Cuban refugees, Cuban-American from Miami. Um, Charlie Crist has picked a lieutenant governor candidate, a running mate, um, who is also from Miami, who is not Cuban. She is um, Latina. And he introduced her about two weeks ago amid a manufactured controversy about something that Lieutenant Governor Nunez said in an interview that was not controversial. Um, as most of you know, Governor DeSantis signed a state budget recently that includes funding to transport illegal aliens out of Florida to sanctuary states. Now, sanctuary states, they've signed up for that, right? I mean, sanctuary cities have signed up for that. So I'm not sure why anyone would have a problem with this policy. I think it's common sense the left should be happy that they're getting more illegal aliens. Floridians can be happy that we're not because we're not a sanctuary state. So, um, so our great Lieutenant Governor Nunez was giving an interview on Spanish um, media a little while ago, right before Charlie Crist announced his running mate. And the Lieutenant Governor said something in her interview 
about how great it is the governor's policy to transport illegal aliens from Florida to Delaware. Um, and that snippet was taken out of context, I think unfairly mistranslated, and spread all over social media and some left-wing Spanish media saying that DeSantis' lieutenant governor wants to ship Cubans from Miami to Delaware. As if Cubans are, are all illegal aliens, which is, I mean, that's absurd. Um, and they then accused her, the media and the left, and Charlie Crist and Florida Democrats accused our lieutenant governor, as I said, descended from Cuban refugees, proud Cuban-American, they accused her of being racist against Cubans and of somehow not sympathizing with people who fled from communism. Now, that's absurd, and I feel like the instinct would be to defend ourselves. Like, she wanted to defend herself, and she did, um, and there is nothing wrong with that. But let's take a step back and think how ridiculous this is. Democrats are pretending to be outraged. That's the thing, all their outrage is fake. They're pretending to be outraged and they're pretending to care about Cuban refugees escaping from communism. These same Democrats sympathize with the Castro regime. The same Democrats idealize the communist regime in Cuba and elsewhere. Chris's running mate, the lieutenant governor candidate I mentioned to you, she tweeted the day that Fidel Castro died, she tweeted that Cubans are mourning this political figure, in those words. So she refers to Castro as a political figure and Governor DeSantis, democratically elected governor, as a dictator. Um, it's incredible. So just thinking about all of that context, if the media wants to talk about context, we can talk about context. Um, there is no reason to defend from bad faith attacks, from fake outrage against these people. There is every reason to turn it around on them and to say, wait a minute, now you're, you're worried about communism? Now you're worried about the Castro regime? Now you're worried about Cubans? And um, what, like, come on. So um, instead of simply defending ourselves, during this barrage of attacks, like I said, it started with the media, but it escalated. Democrats then took on the narrative of the media. It's really inseparable in Florida. A lot of the, the legacy media is the comms wing of the Democratic Party. Um, so that's what they were doing. And instead of trying to just explain and do interviews and, and clarify the lieutenant governor's remarks and soften it, we leaned into it, um, found Carla Marks, Carla Hernandez Matz, Charlie Chris running mate, found her tweet, spotlighted it. When she was announced, there was an event in Miami and people came with a billboard truck with her tweet blown up on it, calling her a Castro sympathizer because she is. And then that puts them on defense. And Democrats are not used to being on defense. The media had no choice but to report on it because we had the billboard truck there. We had um, the tweets were up on the DeSantis War Room account and they all follow that. And so they had to report on it and it really threw off the Christ campaign. They didn't know how to deal with it. So the Lieutenant Governor candidate, Carla Marx, deleted her old tweet and that caused another news cycle because she deleted it then. She did the absolute worst thing that you can do, which is explained why she deleted it and what she really meant. And she had this long thread of like explanations. 
And so that fueled another week-long news cycle. So for two weeks now, people have been talking about this woman who was unknown, who has no political background until she was picked to be Charlie Chris's running mate. Now everyone knows her as Carla Marx, the Castro sympathizer. And so, by the way, speaking of what our Lieutenant Governor Nunez said, Telemundo or one of the left-wing like legacy media Spanish outlets did a poll, a push poll on their website asking, do you agree, asking in Spanish to their viewers, do you agree with Lieutenant Governor Nunez and Governor DeSantis plan to deport illegal aliens to Delaware? And it was 65% of respondents agreed. And we didn't push this or anything. It was just, it was naturally, it was 65% of people who saw that um, on the Spanish TV website, they, they said, yes, we agree. So that's also something to keep in mind when you're thinking about how to deal with bad faith attacks from legacy media or from the left. Um, people agree with us. A lot of people agree with us. They might not be vocal about their beliefs because um, as we, we all know, you can't be in many industries, you can't be in many jobs, you have to keep those conservative beliefs to yourself or really anything that deviates from the liberal party line. Um, but they do agree with us. And so once you remember that, that you have nothing to apologize for and that you know, you're speaking for a lot of people who aren't able to speak out on their own but, but agree, that should give you the confidence um, to, to keep it up and, and to keep fighting to go on offense and to push back. Thank you.